turn to First Kings, shall we? All right, First Kings chapter eight. Now, I had another talk that I'd sort of slaved over um, during the night last night, and uh, at about nine o'clock this morning, actually a bit after that, nine twenty this morning, I decided to to shelve that because it's a talk that really probably needs to be sort of everyone all together rather than piecemeal. So I put that to one side. And, and I guess I've just got some thoughts to share this morning, which are fairly general. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, uh, these are just sort of thoughts that, uh, have occurred to me and I, I just wanted to share. Um, but, but in, in light of what we're currently facing, I guess is, is where these thoughts come from. And, and just quickly, let's, uh, let's read in 1 Kings chapter 8 and in verse 22. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, if there is no God like thee, sorry, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk, work, walk before thee with all their heart, who hast kept with thy servant David my father that thou promised him, thou spakest also with thy mouth and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. Now, Solomon is at a pretty auspicious time in, uh, in Israel's history right now. He's actually just built the first temple, the first real, I was going to say bricks and mortar, but it probably wasn't bricks. It was, it was probably great big chunks of, uh, chunks of marble and granite and all sorts, as you can read about for yourself. But, um, this was a fantastic spectacle, uh, a testament to Israel's, um, superiority in the world as it was at the time. They, they, they were showing to everybody the tremendous um, abilities they had to glorify their God, if you like, with this fantastic temple. Now, David, as we know, had stockpiled, you know, pretty much most of his most of his career as a king. He was stockpiling stuff for Solomon to uh, Solomon to build this structure, and finally, it's finished. And Solomon now stands in front of it, um, well, not stands because we find out later on that he's on his knees. But he, he, he goes through this, this massive prayer. And, uh, and we're going to just, uh, pay attention to some parts of it here in, uh, in verse, uh, 37. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, or if there be caterpillar, if their enemy, if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, Whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house, then thou in heaven thy dwelling place, sorry, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men that they may fear thee all the days that they lived in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. And he goes on to continue continue the prayer and and um, there's a whole lot of ifs. And in verse 54, um, he said, And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven and he stood and he blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice. And it goes on. So Solomon saw as one of the key 
purposes of this building, if you like, and he went through a whole bunch of these key purposes of this building, but one of them was that so that people could come to this building and they could come within this building and they could, in times of pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust and whatnot, they could come and they could spread their hands before the Lord and ask for the Lord's help and then Solomon's prayer was, Lord, please help us at this time. And we're going to turn over now to Second Chronicles chapter 20. One of my favourite little stories in uh, in the Old Testament. Probably many of you know the story off by heart. We see here that um, Jehoshaphat had just uh, had just uh, who was the king of Judah at the time. He just had a bit of a golden period, and then all of a sudden things things had gone wrong. In verse one, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So this whole massive host. And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazontamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of, out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court basically the same spot where Solomon had stood to make that big prayer before. Art thou not our God, oh sorry, and said, O Lord of, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen, and in thy hand is there not might and power, paramight, so that none is able to withstand thee. Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein. Now, what, what, um, Jehoshaphat's actually doing here is he's virtually reprising the prayer that Solomon said. All of the, all of the stuff that Solomon brought up, Jehoshaphat brings up very similar, very similar things. And, uh, and he says here in, in verse 9, he says, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came up out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us, un- given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. And as I've mentioned before, to me, in, in, in my mind's eye when I see this, there's a whole bunch of people and Jehoshaphat's just stood up and he's prayed this very humble public prayer and, you know, perhaps he's got his hands out before the Lord as well, the same way Solomon did. And then they stand there and wait. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And I guess in some ways I can sort of see that there's there's some parallels with the situation we find ourselves in, in some ways. You know, the world is looking at this this tide of disease or pestilence, you know, and and... Even as I was chatting around with various pastors and, and people yesterday, even the experts aren't quite sure what happens next. You know, and, and I got a, as I've mentioned to some of you already, I got a text on Friday night from my 
from my work saying don't come to work, don't come to the office on Monday. All, all of Telstra's office staff have been told not to come to the office. Almost all of us are equipped to work from home, so that doesn't get us out of work, unfortunately. Otherwise, there'd be a whole lot more rejoicing. But, um, but that's that's how, that's sort of how serious it's got to. And and I guess the the question that that sort of led me to is what happens next? How, how when when does my work then say, oh, actually everyone come back to the offices now? The answer is no one really knows. No one really knows what happens next. And and I guess as I look at these scriptures, Jehoshaphat said here, um, we have this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And that's where we are. You know, we, we might not know what to do, and, and Shay asked me a couple of questions this morning. She's, you know, she sort of had started to panic a little bit, I think, and, and she was saying, Pastor Rob, where does this end? You know, how long does this go on for? And, and I, I you know, obviously tried to comfort her with some of the words that I'm going to share with you. But um, in verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asa, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, or this great pestilence, or this great COVID-19. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go you down against them, behold they come. And so it goes on to, to describe what they should do. Verse 17, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now, we uh, we started off reading about uh, Solomon's prayer in the temple, and and uh, and we know now, and perhaps uh, yeah, I've got a few minutes. Uh, we'll turn over to John chapter two. And the Jews' Passover was at hand in verse 13, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, as we know, this probably, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't all of the same bits of stone that, that Solomon had put together, but it was the same basic facility, if you like, that Solomon had, was talking about back there. And, and the Jews were pretty proud of it by this stage. You know, you read other times where they sort of take Jesus on this guided tour and they're like, look at this place, isn't it fantastic? And and Jesus says something similar. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building and that and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, we're going to also read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 10. 
according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, this is a, this is a whole talk on its own, what's happening here, and I don't want to get too distracted by it, but basically it means that there are going to be many things that we achieve in life, and some of those things are going to be absolutely useless in, in, a, in our eternal life. But there's going to be some things that we can build up in this eternal life on the foundation of, of what the Lord laid for us, which will be of great value in eternal life as well. And, and like I said, there's a whole other talk on that. But I want to get down to verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwell in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, I started off reading the passages about Solomon asking the Lord's blessing on the temple. And then we went to, uh, we went to Jehoshaphat, who's in that, that situation where he's, he doesn't know what to do with what's, what's confronting him. And he goes into the temple and him and all of the assembled people from Judah, they, they just throw themselves on the Lord's mercy. And the Lord's answer to them is, you shall not need to fight. Now, we get to the New Testament and by this time, even the temple has become polluted and it's become polluted with this, these people who, you know, sold doves and the money changers and everything. But we see that Jesus is able with, with a couple of little pieces of string, Jesus is able to go in and clear out this temple. And Jesus is able, as we see here now, Jesus is able, if we're built on that foundation, Jesus is able to clear out the, the temple that we now are as well. And we don't need to worry about all of the things that this world worries about. This world, this world is, is, is whipping itself into a tiz and, and yet the world is able, the, the, and the Lord is able to clear out of the temple, which we are, the Lord is able to clear out the things which are whipping the world into its is, if you like. We're able to just stand in faith knowing that the Lord will bless us and look after us. And and I guess to, to sort of conclude the story, if we um if we just go back to uh where we started in uh first Kings, first Kings chapter eight. Now if we if we start reading in um oh, we could read the whole lot but we don't have time. Uh, but they bought the Ark of the Covenant. They put the Ark of the Covenant up in the, um, up in the, te- in the temple. Um, and the priests, you know, they, they took the, they took the staves out of the side of it and they, the staves, you know, stayed out of the side of it from then on. Um, they, in verse 8, it talks about them throughout the staves. Um, and, uh, in verse 10, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. We are filled by the glory of the Lord. We are filled with His Holy Spirit. And 
and not even the priests who were ordained to be able to go into that spot could go into that spot at this time when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, and I believe the Lord's given us plenty of comfort about where where we stand with him and how his divine protection works for us. Now, we also know that the natural temple got destroyed and uh, and and we know that part of our, our process with the Lord is that our natural temple will one day get destroyed as well. But Jesus showed us that it goes on to something much more much more fantastic, much more glorious. And there may be, over the coming time, there may be some of our brothers and sisters whose natural temples are destroyed. But that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ has, has left that temple. It means that they've actually moved on to a more exciting, more glorious realm. And in the meantime, we can trust that the Lord's looking after this natural temple while we're still dragging it around. We don't need to worry. We don't need to be in a position where we're panicking like the rest of the world. We know that the Lord indwells us, that the Lord's glory fills us, and that the Lord's glory pushes out all of the things that, you know, including, and to us, the doubt and fear might be more harmful than the disease, to be honest. For many people, especially for those of us who are here today, if you're not suffering any, you know, pre-existing conditions, and if you're if you're reasonably young and healthy, you know, anything under 70 and you're reasonably healthy, chances are you'll feel like you had a cold and that's it. Um, so for us, we probably don't have to worry too much about the illness itself, but we do have to worry about the fear. We do have to worry about the worry. We do have to worry about the, the perhaps, you know, the attack on our faith that our natural mind might bring against us, as in, oh, what happens next? You know, has the Lord... Has the Lord sort of lost lost control of what's going on? No, this is all part of the Lord's plan. And we read about pestilence being one of the signs. Actually, I read a... a uh, yeah, let's turn there. There's a, there's a cool little scripture in Haggai that I read uh, when I was doing some reading last night. Habakkuk. Starts with H and A. Habakkuk. Let's go there just quickly to finish off with Habakkuk. Chapter 3 and verse 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. Now, if you wanted to describe Australia in the last six months, burning coals and pestilence pretty much covers it. Now, I don't know if this is particularly a a full prophecy of the Lord's return or whatever, but um, I guess what I'm saying is the world might be getting worried about all kinds of things, but we know the Lord's got all of the answers for us. And, and regardless of what happens to this natural temple, the Lord's able to raise us up on that last day and all people do.